Hello mamas and welcome to episode 6 of Bump to Mum. I am your host Emma and this week I have the pleasure of speaking to Kate from Little Bird Lactation. Kate is a NICU nurse and certified lactation consultant and we cover off so many of your breastfeeding or bottle feeding questions, pumping, uh, preparing your body for breastfeeding, top breastfeeding products we go through it all we had a lot to get through but Kate is absolutely fantastic and getting um giving all sharing all her tips and tricks and insight and expertise so I hope you enjoy this chat I thought also before we jump into this week's episode I would give a little update on where Louie and I are at at the moment so Louie is now six months old we've just hit that really big milestone um and it's kind of hard to believe we're there it's you know, the, the first few months seemed to go slow and now it's just going by in a blink. Um, he has started teething. We've been, I feel like we've been teething for ages now. He's just drooling on everything. We go through multiple bibs a day. Um, everything goes in his mouth. Uh, it's kind of just, you know, the outfits no longer look so cute because he's got these big bibs just tied around his neck but hey that's where we're at he hasn't been super grizzly in saying that um but you can just tell that they're a little bit ouchy um he constantly wants something in his mouth so some of the tips i've been given is freezing like draw like wetting a flannel wringing out the water and freezing them um obviously all the little teethers he loves his little mushy that he holds um but yeah he does love sucking on a frozen flannel at the moment and just cooling those teeth so that's what we've been doing a bit of we also had Louie's first flight um, a few weeks ago. We had a friend's wedding down in Queenstown. So mum and my stepdad came with us so that Luke and I could go off and enjoy a wedding and a night out. Um, so that was, gosh, I can't even remember the last time that we had a night out like that. And it was so much fun. Um, the flight actually went surprisingly well. I definitely felt pretty apprehensive in that kind of week leading up thinking about everything I needed to prepare and make sure that we had so that we were you know equipped to, to if in case anything happened um we I did a post about this actually on the bump to mum Instagram account so check that out but basically we just made sure he was suckling for takeoff and landing um tried to get him to just feed to sleep um for the flight and when he was awake, we just had a few little handhold rattles and toys that he could play with. Um, but, you know, we flew from Toronto to Auckland, Auckland to Queenstown, the same on return. So there was a bit of a wait time in the airports as we switched over. Um, and we just had a match that we could stretch out on the ground so he could actually have a kick around. So he just wasn't on me the whole time as well. Um, I had Louis breastfed, but I did take a little bottle of express milk as well, just in case... You know, I've got him on with the seatbelt on. It was a little bit hard to feed. We had that there, um, which was handy. And we just we threw the routine out for the day. We just, when he looked tired, we tried to get him to go to sleep. If it meant feeding to sleep or dummy, we just did it. We just, basically, we're going to do anything to make that journey as smooth as possible. And I guess he's at that age where he's still super transportable and kind of easy to go with the flow. And it was actually a great time to do a trip. Um, he just went with it and you know he got a little bit grizzly when he was kind of due for a nap and if it meant you know couldn't actually in a place where we could put him to sleep he would get a bit grizzly but that's okay um we knew that 
we just needed to get him to sleep as soon as we could and front pack was great through the airport as well um that was a tip I was given just keep them in the front pack um but obviously when you go through security you actually have to take the front pack off so ideally don't let them get to sleep before then because you will have to wake them up which is yeah good to know that before you before you do because yeah ideally you don't get them to sleep in it until you're through um but yeah it was so nice to have you know just be in a different space different different environment but I guess also the reality check of going on holiday is not like just relaxing anymore it's just you do your our normal routine somewhere else and that's nice because you've got different things to look at and go do but in some ways it is just yeah like moving moving your little day routine somewhere else um but hey had a great time and yes to flying we have another flight coming up in a month's time which is a little bit longer um I'm intrigued to see how that's going to go because Louis is just becoming more and more alert each day and he knows what he likes and doesn't like and he likes to let me know that now so um we'll see how a longer flight goes I'll keep you posted um the other thing we've been going through at the moment is picking a car seat. So Louis has been in a capsule since he was a newborn, which has been great, but we're at a point now and a lot of the mums in my mum group is picking a car seat, which will be, you know, their car seat for hopefully a number of years. Um, I thought that would just be a case of like picking the one I liked, but it's actually not that simple. Um, there's a lot of factors that you have to consider and there is not just, you know, the best car seat or this car seat will do everything you want there's so many variables and just haven't really had the mental capacity to kind of (laughs) research it properly I find articles and then I send them to Luke hoping that he will read it and be like cool I'm gonna research this and this is gonna be my thing and then a week later neither of us have done anything about it and we're no further along in trying to find the right car seat so yeah um, not the most exciting thing to learn about very important obviously and I am not gonna you know I'm gonna do it right just need to turn the brain on to do it um we actually went in and spoke to someone because that kind of just seemed like the easiest solution and they gave us some great tips around you know it's actually what's going to fit in your car the best and then there's all these other factors to consider once you've got a couple of options that will fit your car so that was great that narrowed it down um we still have not built bought one but we are getting closer I can feel it um I did think would that be an interesting podcast but I've decided actually no because there's just too many variables everyone's situation is so different there's no real general advice um so yeah maybe not um and maybe my brain's just <laughs> kind of over it now as well Um, I thought I'd also just touch on something that I am enjoying at the moment in my motherhood journey and something that I'm finding particularly challenging. Um, The challenging part for me at the moment, I think, is just the mental load that comes with being a mum. It's just a lot. There's always something on your mind. I wake up in the night thinking about something and I'm like, oh, I need to do that tomorrow. And it's just kind of just constant and I'm sure as you go along in your motherhood journey that doesn't stop but you kind of get you know more used to it but it is there's just a lot of things and even just you know planning for the day ahead or you know okay you know what time do I need to leave what time is this happening and just kind of getting my head around that and you know especially when you're doing other things that are outside that routine there's just like the mental load and then you've got to think about oh we're six months now we need to start introducing solids what how do I do that what do I do there and um 
high chair, car seat. Um, again, it's why I started this podcast because there is just so much to learn and you know, once it gets to bedtime and Louie's down, my brain doesn't really work too well. So um, yeah, there's just that mental load I'm finding challenging and I don't think there's an easy solution to it either. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. And something I'm really enjoying at the moment is actually just the little community that I've created since having a baby. You know, I, a lot of my friends haven't had children yet where I live. You know, I've got friends that have babies, but they don't live near us. So when Louis was born, there was, you know, I wanted to make some mum friends and um, really kind of had to put myself out there and try and make those connections. And, and those really came through like the antenatal group Um joining a baby kind of coffee group after Louie was born as well and and now we've got our little kind of group and we have little outings each week and I'm just loving that sort of community that Louie and I have created and his little mates and um, seeing their babies grow and develop and then seeing all the babies together Um, I'm just really enjoying it and I think it's such an important thing to have mum friends to have people going through things as you go through them as well um kind of just to share and chat and kind of if you're having a crap day they all kind of know how that feels as well so yeah um that's something I've been really enjoying lately so that's Louie and I at the moment um we're we're trucking along we're in our groove things are you know going well and enjoying that there's always challenges, but I think um, overall we're, we're in a good space and um, looking forward to all kind of the next little milestones to come as well, but equally as happy just taking each day as it comes. Well, that's enough about Louie and I. Let's get into this week's episode. Kate is just fantastic. She shares so many tips and tricks, insight, information. She is just a wealth of knowledge. Not only is she a nurse and running her lactation consultancy business, but she is a mum of two girls. She's got a lot going on and she still made the time to get through all of this. So I really appreciate it. I will share a link to her Instagram account in the show notes so that you can follow along if you don't already do because it is well worth, she's well worth a follow. She shares so much on her page just to help mums. So yeah, enjoy. Hey Kate, how are you going? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. It's Friday. It's before a long weekend, which means double parenting, so can't complain. Very excited for that. And hopefully, hopefully some sunshine here in the North Island. Who knows? (laughs) It's like 30 degrees down here today in Christchurch, so I suppose I shouldn't complain. Oh, it's bizarre how different it can be in the same country, but we aren't here to talk about the weather. Um, no, as crazy as it has been, but I would love you to introduce yourself to everyone that's listening and tell us a little bit about your family and little bird lactation. So I'm Kate. I'm a registered nurse and internationally board certified lactation consultant, and I run a small private practice um, doing lactation consultants at home virtually. Um, and alongside that, I run an Instagram page, um, just trying to help and support mums through their feeding journey, however that looks, and a little bit of um, parenting along the sidelines there too. I have two girls of my own who are four and a half and just about two and a half. Um, and they keep me very, very busy aside mm-hmm. from work. 
Oh my goodness, yes. Usually when I'm filming those reels, they're kind of running around at my seat. That's why all the reels are filmed with an audio over the top. Oh, so good. And I do, I know when I, you know, found out I was pregnant and was looking at information on breastfeeding, I came across your page and just love all the kind of tidbits of information and guidance. It was so helpful for, um, you know, someone who hadn't breastfed before kind of to start thinking about it because it is one of those things that you don't think about it until you have to. So, um, yeah, such a good, helpful account. Um, so you've got your two little ones. Before we get into yeah. all the, the breastfeeding questions, can you tell us a little bit about where you're at in your motherhood journey today and what's something you're particularly enjoying and something you're finding maybe a little bit challenging? Uh, so like I said, four and a half and two and a half, I just feel like I've finally nailed the sleep thing. Well, I shouldn't say nailed it. Um, my youngest was born with a desire to hate sleep. And Aww. she is, yeah, now two and a half and has finally, like, basically sleeping through the night. And we have got the girls going down to bed together. And they're usually in bed settled by 7.30. I'm going to say this, and tonight they're not going to sleep. But, you know, <laughs> we feel like we've kind of been battling that for so long. And so that's something that's just, it's been really game-changing for us. And we haven't done anything different. We've let them figure it out in their own time um, mm -hmm. and been supportive there too. But, yeah, I just really feel like that was our biggest challenge and kind of hit us there. Mm -hmm. Um and then I think what comes with that is just the emotions, right? The emotions mm -hmm. as kids get older and recognizing how to help them through that without getting frustrated and angry yourself. It's definitely more challenging. Give me a baby any day over toddlers, 100%. Oh, my goodness. So this is probably – you're the third person that has said that to me, and I've only recorded – you know, this is the sixth episode. So I'm starting to yeah. think like, oh my God, what am I in for? So you think, so you'd be, you'd agree as well, toddlers are a lot harder than a newborn. I think it's challenging in a different way. Yeah. And that they're really persistent and they don't give up and you kind of have to explain it and rationalize it. It's definitely an emotional check on yourself, I think. And mm. a reflection of like, cool I have to think about my own behavior a bit more now too and how I respond and that's going to influence things um, um so true and the following to the bathroom you, don't they yeah and they come and they follow you everywhere and you can't catch a break <laughs> I caught myself saying yesterday can I just poo alone and never <laughs> did I ever think I would have to say those words and I caught myself <laughs> laughing but I just I wanted to go for a poo alone Oh, yes. Well, I have that issue, but it's with my dogs. They follow me everywhere. <laughs> Louis can't move himself yet, so that's very convenient for me. But my dogs do that, yeah. which is, yeah. I, so I kind of see where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, yeah. let's get into all the questions because there's so many. You know, there's, like I said to you before we started recording, there's just an overwhelm of, like, if you're a first-time mum of where to go or even if you've breastfed you know multiple babies and you're having a particular challenge but what I would love you to start with is a bit of an overview on once you're once you fall pregnant how our bodies start you know how your breasts change how you start producing milk and then once baby is born what what happens because I think it's really good to get a bit of an understanding there first before we go into the specifics Cool. So I think there's this really big thing of like, when did my milk come in? And that kind of tips people like, oh my God, do I not start making it till then? So mm -hmm. your 
born with breasts. They have the glandular tissue in them from when you are born, when you are made. And when we hit puberty, things start growing. And then when you get pregnant. So that's what all that breast tenderness is as well. All those hormones Mm -hmm. kicking into gear and doing their thing. And those ducks growing, they're always there, but they just grow and more are there. About 16 Mm. weeks, you actually start producing colostrum. So some women may find that they leak earlier in pregnancy, and that's nothing to do with what your milk supply is going to be. After your baby's born, it just, it happens. Mm. So 16 weeks, you kind of start producing some. Then uh, that keeps going. And so some women choose to harvest some of that colostrum closer to their due date. Mm. After your baby is born, once your placenta is delivered is when your body gets the head start that cool. This baby's gone now and we need to start nourishing it. So that transition to what we call transitional milk where your body basically ramps up the milk supply, Mm. comes into gear. So you then kind of day three to five, ideally is when that more transitional milk starts coming through. So the ways you may see that if you're a pumping mum, you start to see larger volumes, or if you're breastfeeding, you'll find that your baby's starting to do more swallows on the breast. Mm. And then basically it transitions all through that time and starts to regulate about sort of six to eight week mark around what it's going to need to be for the rest of your feeding journey. Um, So it definitely goes through a lot of changes and the nutrients and stuff change to match what your baby needs. It's pretty amazing. That's incredible. So at that six to eight week mark, when your supply kind of regulates, can then that Mm -hmm. again change throughout your journey? Or is that kind of like that's... So basically your baby will take the same amount of milk. So your Mm -hmm. volume doesn't increase, but what's in your milk changes. So the calories change, the antibodies think you're touching things, you get sick, your body starts making those antibodies to help protect your baby. And actually weaning breast milk, so when you start declining your feeds, um, at whatever stage, you will have more antibodies per drop than what you were having when you were exclusively breastfeeding. It's just So it adapts and changes. It's insane. So nothing can quite match it. Um, our bodies are pretty incredible in what they do and I think it's definitely undervalued um, in terms of how much it changes and how much work your body is doing to do that oh yeah oh my goodness and then so if we go from there so if someone is pregnant or you know they're they've recently had a baby what would be your top five tips for someone who's wanting to breastfeed to prepare mm-hmm. antenatally so you know what's some things they can do so that they're in the best position possible when that baby arrives i think getting some really good up to date would be the most important education so mm. we're really lucky um that you know in new zealand we have a wealth of opportunity um in terms of where that can come from. We've got some great free sources as well as some private capacity sources. So have a chat to your midwife and find out where that information is. But always making sure that it's up to date because then you're going in knowing what you need to know. Um, Mm. And also finding someone that aligns with your values because if you're Mm. someone that says actually, hey, from the get-go, I want a mixed feed, finding Mm -hmm. someone that's going to align with you too um, is really important. Uh, hand expressing is a big one. I know I'm a huge advocate for it, not in the sense of getting milk, but just in the sense of learning your body and mm. learning how it works. I think a lot of us go into breastfeeding kind of not wanting to touch our breasts. 
and yes. they change so much and it's just awkward right you kind of feel like mm-hmm. you're feeling yourself up yeah <laughs> but oh, you're you... gonna need to know how to handle them and have to be comfortable with people seeing like I remember once Zoe was born like top was off midwife was helping me get him latched like you just have to all of a sudden get really comfortable really quick so if you've not touched your boob up until that point it can be a lot and I mean everyone's different and I definitely found because I did a bit of um antenatal expressing once I got to about I think 38 weeks once my midwife said it was okay and I actually used you know looked at your information on your page around kind of how to do it and what to do because I had no idea I think the first time I did it I just like squeezed the tip of my nipple (laughs) and you would not be the only one that is so common (laughs) yeah which is so not what you do either so if if that's what you've done and you're thinking I've got no colostrum watch one of Kate's videos on what to actually do because um (laughs) I did that it's not to squeeze the nipple and no. I think, like, the other thing as well is, like, knowing where to get help. So whether you've had, if you missed a chance to have, like, a breastfeeding consult or go to a breastfeeding class, is even just having the number of a lactation consultant in your phone book and having some yeah. money set aside because, um, yes, there's free services, but sometimes there's a bit of delay with those two. So mm. in the same sense of, you know, we're all happy to splash out on some expensive clothes for our baby because they look really cute. But, you know, mm. put away a, a money for a consult. And then if you need it, it's there and it's less of a stress. And you've got the phone number. You make that call and it's just done. There's no second thoughts about it or extra stress. Mm. Um, and if not, hey, you've got some extra money, go and buy yourself something nice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I think, think that's a really good idea. Yeah. Even if it's a baby shower gift, you know, ask someone for a gift voucher. And even if things are going smoothly, there's definitely still things we can always chat through with you um, at any stage. Yeah. No, I think that's such a good idea. And, again, it kind of goes back to, you know, it's easy to kind of get caught up in all the cutesy stuff, but it's like, actually, what are you going to value? And there could be nothing probably more stressful for a mum than a baby that's not feeding well, you know, that's – that's it's such a and hard I thing. guarantee they're gonna poo and vomit on that really expensive outfit that you have bought. <laughs> 100%. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, with the antenatal expressing, you, you sound like that's something you support in terms of just getting to know mm-hmm. your breasts and understanding how yeah. they work. What then could you do with that colostrum if you do get some before baby arrives? So I always recommend just storing it. Just pop it in the freezer, label it so you know what you've got. It doesn't matter how small those volumes are. There are going to be people that are told to antenatal express because of issues in pregnancy or if they know, you know, gestational diabetes or potentially planned C-sections, things like that, or anything that is a risk factor for low milk supply or delayed milk coming in. Generally, we tend to recommend it. And then you've So you would use that milk in the freezer and then if you need it afterwards, you would use it. So you can always either take it to the hospital with you, um, Mm -hmm. depending on whether you're going to stay or not. Like I know a lot of women now are choosing not to stay in birth centres, so there's no point taking it. Um, Mm. But just know where it is and have it labelled. Having it in small containers is absolutely fine. Get some small syringes. You don't want to store it in, you know, 20 mil lots because you're not going to be giving 20 mils in the first couple of days in one go Mm. um 
And But the thing is, some people won't need to use it. So I just chucked a blog post up a couple of weeks ago about when you would use it and when you wouldn't. The big okay. thing is if you are using it after birth, so if you're using what you've expressed in pregnancy and you're using it after birth, you will need to express again to replace that milk so your body gets the message that that milk was used. That's the big thing. Anytime we supplement mm. our babies, no matter what along that journey, your body doesn't get the message. So it's, yeah. it's supply and demand. You need to demand that milk back from your body so it keeps up. That's such a good thing to highlight as well because I think it's a big, you know, and I've had people, and I, I didn't realise it as well, but I've had people say to me, oh, I can't, for, for example, we were out and they were like, oh, but Louis will take a bottle. Why don't you just give him a bottle? And I was like, oh, yeah, but then what about my supply? Like if he's having a bottle, that's fantastic, but I still need to go sort myself out. Otherwise, you know, that impacts my supply if that was to happen on a regular basis. But it's, so it's not just a solution of, oh, that's all good. Just give him a bottle. It's like, well, no, because there's two parts to the equation. Yeah. And I think that's something people forget as well. And, you know, the occasional bottle, if you've gone out to a wedding or something like that, that's mm. kind of okay. And your body will adjust. You'll just feel a bit fuller. But I think a lot of the time we slip into this trap of, occasionally becomes often without us realizing and then that's when people's supply will be affected and they kind of don't understand why um so yeah just making sure that yeah those occasional times it's accounted for yeah so once baby's born once baby's here what would be your top tips to ensure a successful breastfeeding journey or if they're going to be you know pumping what would you be yeah. kind of saying to focus on so getting that baby latched, don't worry about the time and just making sure that each latch is comfortable. So mm. I always say in those first few days, yeah, breastfeeding's not 100% pain-free, but it shouldn't hurt if that kind of makes sense. I always liken it to getting a brand new pair of Converse shoes and you put them on and they kind of rub and you're like, okay, yeah. it's rubbing because it's new. Like I haven't felt pressure on here before. But as soon as it starts getting to like sharp pain, you need to take them off because it's not right. And the more you wear the shoes, the more comfortable they get and your body gets used to it, but you shouldn't be getting blisters. And if you do, you need to stop. Does that make sense? That is the best way I've heard it described because it's a hard line between, okay, this is getting uncomfortable versus actually this is this is painful. Um, so I think that's the perfect way to put it. So yeah, if you've got actual pain, and wanting almost yeah. baby off, then that's something you need to get checked. Would that be fair? Yeah. And the hard bit is, is that once you have got damage and damage can happen from one bad latch, that's the really sucky part. Like they have one bad latch and you don't take them off. You can easily get a blister or a crack and then that hurts. So every time you go to relatch them, there's a little bit of pain there and you can't tell, is this new pain? Is this old pain? Like, and you can't just leave them off to let it heal that's not how it works it you have to keep demanding from your body so I think that's a really hard one as well so big tip as soon as it hurts take them off um to prevent any damage at all and in that situation would that be when you need to reach out to like someone like yourself or or a lactation consultant yep. help yeah absolutely if you're in the hospital I say get the midwives to come in and have a look because I mean they're readily available and they're there mm -hmm. um or have a chat to your midwife 
but you know our midwives have so many jobs to do our lmcs they don't often have all of that time to sit with you for a breastfeed um so having a chat with them as well about where the support services are in your area um or jumping on the internet and typing and find an lc near me um to make a booking with someone because it can be really really simple things i've walked into consults with women before and they think they have a raft of issues that need medication or fixing and it's as simple as changing how they were holding their baby or how they were holding their breast and that fixes everything wow that's crazy isn't it and it's while we're on the topic of you know damage is is that the key thing then to avoiding cracked nipples and and blisters is purely latch or are there other things that could cause that Look, most of it's down to a latch, and mm. but other things can affect that latch. So um, there can be oral restrictions and ties that can obviously affect how your body, your baby's mouth can move and what mm. it does. So that can be a factor. It can also be the positioning. So a lot of women as well kind of think your baby goes straight onto your breast, whereas they kind of actually come up and over the nipple kind of goes more to the roof of their mouth to get that deep latch and things like that so even changing how they are on your body can change that latch as well um and then just that mix match of how they move it can be it there can be lots of things but 90 percent of it is just coming down completely to how they latch but how we change that can be different approaches right okay that makes sense so you mentioned a a, a like an oral restriction. So how would you know if your baby has a tongue or a, can you get lip ties as well? Have I Is that correct? Yeah, and I think it's such a trigger-inducing word is tongue mm. ties. Like, you know, you tell someone, oh, my baby's, my baby's having trouble latching and the first question it always seems to be, oh, do they have a tongue tie? Yeah. And basically a tongue tie is like that skin underneath your tongue that attaches your tongue to the bottom of your mouth. And I mean, we all have one to an extent, that's how it attaches. But a lot of people will think, oh, it's only how far can they move it out? And the big thing with this oral stuff is it's not what it looks like, it's how it moves. So it could look like their tongue is, but like part of our assessment is sticking our finger in and seeing how they suck. Does the tongue curl up? Does it do the movement that it needs to do? So there's a lot more involved in to get a diagnosed tongue tie you need to see a lactation consultant or a midwife that's been accredited they do an extra course to be able to do that so i wouldn't ever take you know someone coming along going oh they've got a tongue tie um Mm. i would always get it checked out by a professional because again it could just be simple positioning stuff that we can do that improves it or it could be something that warrants further investigation and needs to be treated per se Okay, that's good to know. And I guess I guess good to another thing to just keep an eye out for if you do think. So would baby kind of be struggling to latch? Would that be a sign? Sometimes some of the signs, and it's really hard because the signs can yeah. be other things too. But basically, yeah. if they're slipping off the breast a lot, that can be a mm-hmm. sign. If there's lots of clicking and noises, that's a, a sign that they're breaking their seal. Um, mm. If you're noticing things like they're not lifting their tongue to the roof of their mouth or it's, um, you know, and you can physically see it, that again yeah. can be a sign. Um, and just pain. Like if you're, mm. if you're having pain in your nipples, something inside is not quite right. And we need to have a look at why that is. Okay. This is, again, such a great tip. And so 
what would be your top breastfeeding support products? And you recently put up a post about um, kind of like lactation, you know, cookies and stuff, which I found really interesting. So I'd also love you to touch on, you know, what benefit those can have in in, in your breastfeeding journey and, and do they actually yeah. really you know, boost your supply? I think before anything, I would always say having that money aside for a lactation consultant to give you support, that is your number one thing that you may need. Um, other than that, there are definitely products that can help and hinder. Um, mm. I think if you're someone super leaky, because I know that was an issue that I had, um, and I found it really frustrating just sticking things mm. down my bra. Um, I quite enjoyed, and they weren't around when I my feeding journey was the lady, the Haka ladybugs. Um, mainly because I just it wasn't about capturing milk. It was for me. It's more about I just hated leaking through my bra and breastpads yeah. all the time. It was a convenience yeah. thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. I found that really uncomfortable. You can also get them in other brands and stuff. It's just a way of collecting milk. Um, I know a lot of people will think a breast pump is necessary, and look, it's not. Um, it's something mm. that you may need in your journey or you may not, and it's quite a big expense, so um, not necessarily something you have to buy. Yeah. And, and now my view on lactation cookies. Now, this is a hard one. Um, <laughs> look, there's information for, there's information against, there's no concrete hard and fast research to say that these 100% work for a lot of people. Mm. Um, but these are traditional herbs and foods that have been used for centuries in different cultures to support lactating mums. So I believe they wouldn't be used if they didn't work to some degree for some women. However, in flip saying that, they're quite expensive if we buy Mm -hmm. the packaged marketed ones. You can quite easily um, make your own um at home brownies i just whipped up lactation brownies for a reel today um that was cheaper to make a whole batch of that than what it would be to buy some cookies um but eating enough is what tends to be Mm -hmm. it eat enough drink enough take care of the basics first if you want some lactation cookies because you enjoy the taste of them go ahead and buy some but they're not a golden ticket if you are struggling with your milk supply your golden ticket is support education 100 percent I love that. And again, it's kind of what comes back to it, right? Like spending money on, you know, a bag of cookies for $25 or $30 or whatever it be, they are expensive versus actually good nutrition and, you know, getting some education. Like where do you want to spend your money? Because I know I could smash a bag of those cookies in one sitting, you know, that's yeah. <laughs> it's an expensive snack. <laughs> yeah, um, they are. And I mean, Oreos are cheaper. Yeah, yeah. So would you say, probably fair to say that, you know, just good nutrition is actually more valuable than those yeah. cookies for your breast? Yeah. I actually am. Um, good food and enough food. I think as breastfeeding mums, we often forget to eat. Um, yes. Well, it's not getting off the couch. When I have girlfriends that have a baby, I take round muesli slice, pre-made wraps and glad wraps so they can actually just sit there and eat and like filled with mm. protein. Um, I take one-handed foods. I don't take meals. Um, I know meals are super handy, but I know for myself I was stuck and I couldn't mm. eat things because it required both of my hands. So I'm down for one-handed things that don't need to be plated that you can just eat. 
such a good tip because I definitely found that in those early days when I was learning to breastfeed and you know they you know the feeds at that age when they're so little take ages and you could get then they'll fall asleep and then you're trapped there for a few hours without a snack or food or anything and I know it was you know it's not an excuse to say you forget to eat but it, it would happen or you just wouldn't be able to get food um and I would feel it on those days that by the end of the day I just felt really empty I don't know if it can happen that quickly or if that was just me maybe you know in my head a bit more and you but look, I, yeah you, your body is so good at taking what it needs and so mm. the good nutrition and the eating enough and the drinking enough is more about also making sure like you feel okay because mm. your body will make milk um from whatever's there but then it's going to leave you for dead you're second to it your body is like my priority is to make milk you come second so you can be left feeling awful and dehydrated yet your body's still making some good volumes of milk oh my goodness so that our body will prioritize feeding the baby over our own health to an ex to an extent yeah i mean think about all over the world there are people that live in villages and continue to breastfeed um, without the access to all the nutrition that we have um, and in dire situations um, they still can too so I think it's about just giving yourself that nutrition and support to feel the best you can because you're, you're going to be sleep deprived you're going to be tired you are going to be a bit sore you've just grown a human for nine months so it can be really hard to look after yourself but you kind of got to focus on that too you can't pour from an empty cup yeah, that is just, again, all these nuggets of advice are just fantastic. And it's, it's again, like one of these things I'm like, gosh, I wish I listened to this before I had my baby. But um, <laughs> um, one And it's thing, so hard. Yeah. So hard before you have a baby. It is because it's not on your mind. You're focused on the birth, right, and getting the baby yeah. here and everything that comes with that, which can be a lot as well, and preparing for a baby. So you don't really focus too much on – feeding the baby but you've got to do that pretty much the second that baby's out is all of a sudden start and what birth is like well for me really short Um, my second was an hour and a half but because you know some women it's 24 hours 12 hours you know a few unfortunate ones it's more like four days but that's Mm. it breastfeeding is a lot longer postpartum is longer we spend so much time preparing for birth and I think that's become a really huge thing in the last couple of years as well and I hope to see in the next few years that maybe we start to put a a little bit more focus on the preparation for postpartum and all that it entails because it's longer postpartum's forever breastfeeding's for however long you choose to do it and it requires some thought (laughs) While you mentioned that, actually, because this is one that a question that came up. So how long can you breastfeed for? What is recommended? Um, And can you kind of talk through extended feeding? I had one follower message me and say she's currently feeding a five-year-old and two three-year-olds breastfeeding. um, And she Mm -hmm. just feels like she's quite alone in that journey and would love if you could maybe touch on that as well. Just in terms of how, you know, how, 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 what does that look like? So I think there's this real taboo. I just had a, a client this morning as well. We were having a chat and she was like, I feel so alone. 
that you know after one everyone expected me to stop and that it's no longer acceptable but before one everyone was pro and for it and i think mm. there's definitely still that as well and i wonder whether some of that confusion comes from us saying that cow's milk's okay from one um mm. that you can stop formula so why why would you continue breastfeeding or why do we still have to give breast milk if we don't have to give formula after one so mm. the world health organization recommends breastfeeding till at least two years or longer if mutually acceptable between both yeah and i always kind of hate bringing that fact up because i a big part of what i created little bird for was so that people didn't feel bad um i think there's a lot of um guilt associated with when you breastfeed and how long you breastfeed for so my big thing is as long as it's working for you yeah as long as it is working for you that is what the end goal is and i still breastfeed my two and a half year old uh we breastfeed basically just at night actually she gets out of her shower and she's like milkies 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 and she oh. will scream at my husband <laughs> if she's not going to get her milkies because that's like her time and she's been looking forward to it all day and that's what works for us yeah. that is absolutely what works for us and we'll keep doing that for as long as it works for us yeah. breastfeeding never stops having benefits it never turns to dust or becomes not good for your child so I think as long as it works for you, absolutely keep going. I've had people breastfeed till six or seven and it still worked and they were still happy for them. And they kind of, in terms of when they stop, it usually just often comes from the child and they'll kind of be like, cool, I'm good. And they'll start refusing. Um, yeah. Or if, you know, mum's over it, it's like, hey, we've, we've moved on. But at that age, you can have a conversation with them. Even with my mm -hmm. two-year-old, when she, my child was two, and she was breastfeeding more than what I felt comfortable with or what was working for us. I told her, I was like, no, we're not going to have milkies now. We're going to have milkies after your shower. So we're not having milkies in the morning now. It, it's not, it's not here mm. for the morning. It's here for after your shower. And she accepted that. We moved on. And that's what it was. That's and I think so that's a big thing for that over one as well is that boundary. Mm. You kind of get to choose, right? um it yeah. can feel a little bit overwhelming sometimes to so put boundaries in place that's okay it has to work for both of you it's just incredible that your body i mean yeah to keep producing milk for that long so did you feed both were you breastfeeding both your girls at a time was there a time when you're feeding both no i okay. kind of wanted to my goal was always two mm. my that mm. i'd said to myself with the education that i had i'd always wanted to get to two and unfortunately i suffer with high premises with both my pregnancies uh, so yeah. the second time was definitely worse and i was i think at 10 weeks pregnant with mabel my second and i had lost 10 kilos oh my and goodness. my midwife just kind of sat with me and had a conversation she was like look i know this is your goal but we have to think about your health and what's mm -hmm. going are you okay with stopping and i was like yeah i think that's okay and look she didn't notice we kind of said mm -hmm. kept her busy and it it stopped so she was 18 months I was 18 months when I stopped and yeah she was happy was never interested in looking when I had Mabel or anything like that so and it worked yeah so what's the boundaries around you know feeding once you know they they have a bit more of a say in terms of you know they want they demand it at certain times what yep. would you say to people? So having a conversation with them, obviously, um, around when when we have milk. And will your supply kind of regulate to the time of day that, 
they feed or how does that work? So your body will adjust. You stop demanding from it. It will stop replacing. And I mean, obviously, if you do a bigger sudden drop, you're probably going to be uncomfortable. Like mm-hmm. if you all of a sudden dropped four feeds in a day, you, you're going to be uncomfortable. Um, and it's an age appropriate conversation because yeah. what you can say to a three-year-old is different to what you can say to a one-year-old. Mm. And I think it also depends on what that feed was associated with. Like if you were feeding to sleep and you wanted to stop doing that, you need to change that first. So you would feed, you know, like half an hour before you went down to bed and just change up that routine. Um, Because a lot of feeding beyond one also can sometimes become about routine and that's just part of what we do and it helps them prepare for what's coming next Um, and whether you replace that with something. So it's a book. You know, we sit down and read a book Mm -hmm. before bed now and then I put you in your jammies and we go down to bed. Yeah. Oh, Um, it's so interesting. And I think, like you say, it's just, we, we don't probably hear or speak enough about the feeding journeys past one and, and the fact that, you know, a lot of women are still breastfeeding their babies at two, three, four, five, like you said, six or seven years old. And it, I think it becomes a thing, like right now, for us it works and it would just be harder to stop. Like it's mm. just easy. It works. I've got, the, you know, I'm happy, she's happy, that's our time. It works. So don't fix what isn't broken. Yeah. If it's a problem, change it. If it's not a problem, just leave it. Keep going. Yeah. Oh, love that. Now, something that came up a lot when I put up a, a question box around what they wanted to talk about is, of course, pumping. Um, yeah. You know, it's just it's something that I think we're all like, it. you know, trying to figure out the best time, how we do it, what, when's a good time to start, all these sorts of things. So would you mind us, I guess, some of the questions that came up were around when can you start introducing a bottle to a newborn, um, you know, an express bottle of milk or um, when's the best time of the day to do that bottle or pump for that bottle. So maybe if you could give us a bit of an overview on reasons why we would pump um, and then we can kind of break down into some more specific questions. So a lot of my pumping knowledge originally came from, so I've worked in the neonatal unit for a number of years. Mm. So I've worked with women and that was the only way to establish their milk supply. So that's where my background comes from and why I'm so passionate about it. Because I think that we get sold a breast pump, but we don't get sold the education that comes with it. And you mm-hmm. can very easily run into more issues than not with a breast pump. Um, because we buy it and we think that we have to use it. Mm-hmm. And we're like, I'm so excited to kind of take this out and figure this out. So with pumping, think of it like a breastfeed in the sense that if you were to do it, you are demanding more from your body, so you need to be consistent with it. Or you use it in place of a breastfeed. So if you've given a bottle to your baby, that is when you would need to pump because you need to demand more from your body because it doesn't know that you gave that bottle. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't have, your boobs don't have eyes. You can't see that you've given that milk, so you need to tell it that you've given that milk and that it needs to replace it. In the same sense that if you have low supply and you need to increase your supply, it's because your baby's not taking enough from the breast, so you pump afterward to keep demanding for your baby. I think that's the big thing. And always, always your baby comes first. So you are feeding your baby's tummy before you're worrying about what goes in the freezer. Mm. Um, you do not need a huge freezer stash, even if you are an exclusive pumper 
returning to work, you do not need a freezer full of milk. Um, so I would always say with starting to pump, if you are someone that knows that you are planning to regularly use bottles early on, then I always recommend it's a relatively early introduction of bottles around that kind of two to three week mark if and only if breastfeeding is working and going well. Okay. So if you're having any latching issues or anything like that, I wouldn't be introducing one. You want to get that. If breastfeeding is your main goal, you want to get that sorted first and feel comfortable and confident in what you are doing. Mm. By introducing a bottle, it doesn't have to be a full feed. And I think that's where people get caught into a trap. They feel like they need to give their four-week-old 150ml bottle every day. That's mm. huge. That mm. is such a huge amount. It can be as simple as a 20ml top-up somewhere in the day so that your baby is confident with their bottle skills. Mm. Just once a day. That's plenty to keep bottle feeding a regular part of their routine so they know what they're doing, but 20 mils isn't too much to demand from you. Mm -hmm. um, and that could be as simple as you even hand expressing or just pumping off 20 mils after a feed at some point in the day that works for you. We tend to say the morning only because your breasts are the most full in the morning, but I also like to say with that, it's when your baby's most settled. So if your mm. baby is grumpy in the morning, don't try and pump in the morning because you're probably going to have them on your boobs because they're cranky. Mm. <laughs> if it's, you know, once they've gone for their lunchtime nap, then you do a quick pump to replace that 20 mils. Yeah, I like that. It's like for, for me and my breastfeeding journey, we introduced a bottle to Louie, I think it was around that three or four week mark, um, so that my husband could do a night feed. And, and it wasn't that he needed that to bond with Louis. It was actually more to give me and my boobs a break um, from lots of cluster feeding. And then we've just continued that. He likes having his bottle at night with dad and actually I can give him it. Anyone can give him it. And that's just what we've done and it works for us. And I kind of like having that break in the evening from feeding. Um, and I did, like you said, like I, I pumped in the morning cause that's when my boobs were full. Louis was happy and that's worked for us um and we'll probably just keep doing it while it does um i don't he doesn't feed as often or for as long anymore but we still just quite like doing that i um would do you so with the bottle once you've introduced it i did have some friends in my antenatal group that you know after there was a few days where they didn't continue with that bottle and then baby completely went off it and started refusing it what would be some reasons for that so bottle feeding and breastfeeding are different skills. Think of it that mm -hmm. way. So the reason we introduce it so early is when sucking is like an automatic reflex, when you put something in their mouth and they ah. suck it. The main confusion that, you know, we talk about nipple confusion. It's not nipple confusion. It's flow confusion. So breast milk mm. flows differently out of the breast than what it does out of a bottle. At a bottle, it's a constant rate. It's one hole. In your breasts, it is the muscles that contract and squeeze the milk out. So it comes out and flows like waves up and down and up and down. And so that's why we do that whole pace bottle feeding thing to try and make that flow a little bit more like a breastfeed. Mm. And so if you have introduced a bottle and then you stop and then you try and give it again, your baby's forgotten. 
they prefer one over the other, they're going to like, hey, actually, breastfeeding's working for me. I'm going to stick with that because that's easier. I don't want that bottle. Um, yeah. So that's why I always say keep it regular. And it doesn't have to be a huge volume. 20 mils after a feed or after bath time, before the big bedtime feed, tends to work really well. And it just keeps it consistent. And then you feel comfortable and confident that they know what they're doing. Yeah, okay. Bottle that's refusal's huge. Yeah, I've had it's probably you know with people in my mum's group now it's you know half the group's babies will take bottles some babies have always been uh, you know bottle fed because that's what the mum has chosen um and then some you know fully breastfed because they just absolutely refuse the bottle now is there anything you can do to try reintroduce it yeah and it's about breaking it down so I've actually mm. had three consults this week on introducing <laughs> bottles it's been like yeah. the theme of my week um, yeah. and you know, look there's things you can break down we look at like what bottle you're using like how old are they is it worth just actually ditching the whole bottle idea and moving to a sippy cup or a straw cup um it kind of it and it's also understanding why what's in the bottle what are we doing can we can we change things so it's quite a personal thing mm. um, and also a lot of the time there's a lot of distraction thrown in there too and I think the issue is, is like we, with bottles and stuff, and there's a bit of pushback from potentially some more traditional LCs that um, don't like bottles, which I think is where people feel the hesitancy to ask for help. Um, yeah. It's about making feeding work for you. And like you said, you do the bottle at night because it's worked for you and it's helped give you a mental break. And potentially maybe, you know, that's making you enjoy your breastfeeding journey a bit more rather than resenting it. So I yeah. think it's about making it work for you. You are the parents and you get to decide how feeding looks for you and how yeah. you can make it work. So true. Because there was definitely a point in my feeding journey earlier on, and I should say as well, Louis is fully breastfed um, and we just give him that express bottle at night. Um, but earlier on my feeding journey when he was doing those really long feeds and lots of cluster feeding, I wasn't. 100% enjoying it um, and I had kind of said to someone like oh I, I, don't, I don't have any plans around when how long I'll feed Louis for you know just until we're both over it or when he decides that he's over it or I decide but you know now that I'm enjoying feeding more his feeds are so efficient because he's you know he's just got to that age where he knows what to do and he's quick and I actually love it and it's one of those things that I will definitely, I have a bit of an emotional attachment to because, and just even you saying like you do the milkies at night, that's something I hope that Louie and I can continue to do. But there was definitely a point earlier on where it was very intense with the feeding that I kind of thought, you know, is this, am I going to be able to do this long term? Um, but step forward one month or two months and now I'm so attached to it and I'll really miss it whenever that day comes that, he wings or I decide to wing. I think the big thing is, is like I read um, from one of the other uh, great LC and Aussie who's also called Kate. She was like two weeks, give yourself two weeks before you make any decisions mm. because yep, you can stop, you can sit there and you can think. And I've had clients before that are like, I'm ready to wean. I'm so over it, but oh, I don't know if I am, but I'm sick of it. And I'm like, okay, well, whatever you do, protect your supply. So, mm -hmm. Until you're 100% you know you want them off, if right now you want to put them on bottles for today, you, you do that. You do what you do to get through, but protect your supply so that you still have a choice left. 
and sit and think about it and maybe you want him back on the breast and it's all okay and look one of my clients she did that and we've actually finally done her weaning consult like eight months later because she Mm. continued to breastfeed because she had that time to go actually no I was just in the moment and in the moment I felt like I couldn't do it but actually I can do this and Mm. I want to keep doing this so I think stepping back sometimes because some days are hard they're really hard I've had them Mm. I have 100% had those days with both my girls where I'm like I do not want to keep doing this I am over this what am I doing Mm. um and you know I had the added pressure of being like I'm an LC I should be enjoying this but yeah I'm still a human and I mm. still have days where I 100% just wanted my body back. I wanted no one to touch me. I just wanted me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really normal. Really, really normal. I think as well, it's um, the, and- obviously the, 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 the dependency, especially in those early days, that, you know, you can't go far from your baby because – you're breastfeeding and they need to be fed every few hours and and it's that that can be mentally quite exhausting as well just oh I can't go do that because baby's going to need a feed in an hour and if they're not taking a bottle as well that's yeah that's even more of a tie which mentally long you know that can be really tough and and every baby's different and I feel like that's what makes it really hard when we have conversations with other mums too even my own two kids so my first was the cruisiest baby you've ever met in your life. You, she slept through the night from six weeks. No joke, <laughs> through the night, 12 hours. Like she was a oh freak God. of nature. Yeah. She, I could take her to the hairdresser and she would sit there for three and a half hours while I got my hair done. I could take her to oh. coffee. I, I could live my normal life and just bring her along with me. Mm. I mean, toddler, completely different. But I (laughs) then had Mabel, who was an absolute whirlwind, and she's never slept, and she always screamed, and she always wanted to feed, and you could not take her out. And even now, taking her out to a cafe is a nightmare. And my experiences were completely different, and I felt so alone the second time because I was. I couldn't go out and do the same things that I used to be able to do. So I think we all have different experiences and that's what makes it hard as well and why the advice needs to be specific to your situation, I should say. Um, yeah. Sharing between friends is great, but we all have a different experience. So true. And I think it's just so important what you said is around like give yourself two weeks, protect your supply, because a lot can change, especially when they're so little um, in yeah. that two weeks or even when they're bigger, you know, and I think just, yeah, don't make any rash decisions because, well, I think you've actually spoken about this before, but can you get your milk back once you stop feeding? You can. So you absolutely can. But Mm. the process in that of can you get your baby back to the breast is where it becomes slightly more complicated. Uh. So if, you know, you've gone fully onto bottles and you're just letting them chug away on bottles, why would they want to go to the breast where they've got to work harder for it so definitely a baby's temperament plays a huge part in that as well mm-hmm. um so that's why yeah that pace bottle feeding so important in that situation and also at any stage you can relactate women who haven't even had children can lactate um given the right hormone and support and stimulation to their breasts it's pretty amazing um wow. but the difficulty see the difficulty isn't necessarily in getting the milk back in my experience it's more about getting the baby to take it 
from the breast is where it can become a little bit more complicated. Mm. Doable, 100%, but requires some perseverance. Okay. So if all are, the easiest option there would be just to protect your supply before you've so you've and then protect your supply and stick with bottle like you know paste bottle feeding keeping skin to skin so they're comfortable and doing it and i think you know if you're really ready to stop you know you'll be ready to stop within those two weeks and if Mm. you're not you you figure it out pretty quickly that you're like hey actually no i can keep doing this and sometimes it's even just a matter of reducing feeds because a lot of especially i think older toddlers it's it's not that you completely want to stop, but you're overwhelmed with how much they want to feed. And that can feel really hard because they're demanding. So sometimes mm-hmm. even reducing reducing the frequency of feeds um, when you can, can make a huge impact on how positive you feel about it. Oh, such, such good advice. And I think the pumping thing, you know, there's – so many questions but some of them quite specific to to people's particular journey so I think it's one of those ones that where if you're not sure or something's not working is to reach out and get support like you said because there could be you know there's so many different components to every mother's breastfeeding journey and I think um you know we could and social media with that too like social media you know you see a woman and she's pumped like a full like two full bottles worth of milk and then she opens up her freezer and she's got this huge stash that is not normal. That's the big thing I want to get across. That is not normal. If you're pumping after your baby's fed, you'd expect to get less. But also, you may have a smaller milk storage capacity, which means that your breasts can't hold as much milk as someone mm. else. And that's fine. That's normal. It just means you feed more frequently. You're still able to grow a big, healthy, chubby baby. just means you <laughs> feed more frequently, which is also going to be reflected in the fact that when you pump, you're going to get less in the bottles so that's why it's such a personal thing as well once you've fixed all the bits and pieces and you know you've got your pump working for you it's a matter of actually figuring out what your normal is that is such a good piece of advice because i know as well like i've done that i've i the other day was like oh no we've got no more frozen milk and kind of went into panic mode but totally unreasonably either because i'm not going to be away from louis anytime soon and I've got all the milk I need and but it's just that mentality of like oh I need to have frozen milk you know but I need to have my, I need to have like five feeds ahead of myself but why yeah but it's like I can't actually just magic that milk up right now like I've got the perfect amount for him and I don't have any extra supply for that I would have to lose my supply to get more and that's it. If you were someone like going back to work and you wanted to have a couple of feeds ahead of yourself for a couple of days, which is completely mm. understandable, right? You kind of want to go to work knowing that I just, I've got a couple of days if something went wrong. Yes. So you would start pumping once a day. And when you first start pumping, you know, a couple of weeks before you go back to work, you're probably not going to get much because mm. your body needs time to catch up to this demand that you're putting on it. But if you were to consistently pump for a week at the same time, you would notice that that would start to increase. You okay. have to give your body a chance to catch up to what you're asking mm-hmm. from it. Your body, like I said, your boobs don't have eyes. They need time to, you need to demand from it and you need to give it time to catch up. It's a bit slow. Yeah. And that that's, and I'm just thinking as well, like if you, if you didn't have a reason 
that going back to work, that's such an important one. And that's actually, you know, something I'm probably going to have to look at myself. And I'm sure lots of other mothers, you know, starting to think about that. And it's good to know that you can do that and you can have that kind of, I guess it's a bit of a security blanket to know while you're at work that there is something there if they need it. Um, But it's not going to happen overnight. Like you need to actually prepare in advance for that. You can't just do a pump the day before and think, sweet, we've got got a bottle, you know? Because you'll replace all of that milk that's given when you go to work. So you're hoping that what you bring back while you've pumped while you're away replaces what they've had that day. That's the goal, Mm. right? but it's just that security of knowing like, oh, cool, like if I had a meeting and I absolutely missed that pump, I'm not chasing my tail later. That you've got like a little bit of leeway and flexibility for mental state more than anything. Mm. I think it, yeah, that's just so, this, the pumping thing is, and there's so many things you've said that it's, it's just so true. Like I bought a big expensive pump and I think I've used it twice and it's in the cupboard. Um, I just thought I had to buy a pump, so I bought one, but I've not actually used it. And like you say, it's so expensive and it's just not – I haven't needed it. I've got a hucker. I love the hucker um, just to yep. pop that on the other side and catch let down or, you know, like if I'm a bit engorged, you know, just release that a little bit. Um, those have been yep. amazing for me. Um, is it true that once – if your baby is maybe, and you've kind of touched on it before, if your baby won't take a bottle, sometimes once they've learned to drink from a sippy cup, they might yeah. actually be more inclined to, or how does that work? Because it kind of feels like the same. So a bottle and a cup, like the, the milk flows differently. So mm. you can you can put milk in anything and give it to a baby. We feed in the NICU so we can do it like a small medicine cup and it's called a cup feed with Mm. premature babies and once they are developmentally able to um, suck, swallow, breathe we can feed them with a cup instead of a bottle. You can feed them off of a spoon and they lap it up like a cat. Like you can literally feed them off anything. There's safer ways to do it. The bottle just tends to be a more efficient way and kind of the westernised society idea of that's how you should do it. Um, Within five months four to five months, if they're like absolutely refusing a bottle and it's just not having a bar of it, I tend to say, hey, let's try a sippy cup. Let's try a straw cup. Mm. The reason we do that is because bottle feeding is not a skill they're going to need for life. Yeah. So if you're getting to like nine, ten months and you're like, I'm, I'm done with breastfeeding, I want you to have a bottle or it's the occasional bottle, I'm like, let's go straight to a sippy cup. Mm. They need to learn how to drink from a cup and they need to learn how to drink from a straw for life skills because those are going to be things they're going to do as they get older. Why would you teach them something at this point that you're going to be taking away relatively soon? Um, mm. But also with that, some babies will happily drink water from a sippy cup, but they won't drink milk from it. And that's not that they can't. They just don't want to. <laughs> so there's that that you've kind of got to play with as well. Even my own daughter never took a bottle. Um, we had instances with her where I had to be separated um, because my eldest was in hospital or I'd gone back to work at nine months um, with Mabel and I would drop her at daycare and she, she'd take a few sips. If you put water in that bottle, she'd guzzle it. Oh. But she wouldn't touch it if it was milk. Oh. <laughs> Thanks. Minx, I tell you. Yeah. Still to this day, I could pump milk and put it in a bottle or a cup 
and she won't drink it she'll kind of sip it but if you put water in it she'll drink it that is she's she sounds like she's really got a, a strong mind that one yeah but you'll you will find kids like that as well so yeah i mean if if the bottle thing's not working out for you i would beyond that five months mark give a sippy cup a go give a sippy yeah. cup or a straw cup just make sure it's one that's easy to clean is my big tip because some of them have lots of little like nooks and crannies and are very difficult to clean when you've got milk that's a great point as well hey i would love uh, you know the, the the we've talked so much about feeding and and it's so important it's such a big part of the postpartum journey but i would love you just to maybe share a little bit as well about what your past postpartum journey has been and you know highs and lows I think it's just so important to you know kind of normalize things that happen and chat about them and um if there anything in particular that you know kind of stands out for you something you wish maybe even you you knew before you had babies that you didn't that would have been helpful I definitely think it's the asking for help that's something I've struggled with my whole life I don't, Mm. I'm very independent. And I think having kids has taught me that you are not weak for asking for help. Although I still to this day feel sick every time I do ask for it, but it's a huge part of it because people want to help and you sometimes need to be pretty direct about how you want that help. Um, Mm. And that is okay because those people want to know how to help you. I had a very great friend who has no family here and she had her baby and I was like, hey, what can I do to help? And she said, I'm at the hospital getting fed, but they're not feeding my husband. Could you please make him dinner? He's vegetarian. And I was like, great. Thank you. That gave me a job. I knew what I could do to help her in that moment that was going to be beneficial and take a load Mm. off because that may not have been what I've done. I also go to friend's house and I say, where's the washing? Let me fold it for you. Mm. You know, it's those simple things um, that actually make a bigger difference that allow you to focus on the baby. So asking for that help around all those other things is huge. Um, And know that the people want to do it. They just don't know what you need. Yeah, that is such a key one. I actually, um, when I spoke with, Sarah who's a doula she said you actually empower people and they feel good when you give them something that will be helpful like people want to help and you feel good when you're helping someone but it's just I guess that communication piece about knowing what you're wanting and what will be useful and actually letting people know which can be hard when you've got all this other stuff going on in your brain it's you know it's it's a lot but yeah I think it's also just you know accepting that it's blimmin hard and help is there's generally something that someone can help you with you know like you don't have to do it all yourself and I like again I had another friend that's had a baby and she texts me uh maybe like two weeks after he was born and she was like oh my god I'm sorry I was like what are you sorry for love and she's like I didn't help you enough when you had a baby and I now know how hard it is and I'm sorry Mm -hmm. that I probably said or did the wrong thing. And I was like, you don't know what you don't know until you're in it. Cause I'd gone around and seen her and she's like, I need some feeding help. I was like, cool. I'll be there tomorrow. What's your coffee order? 
And she's like, oh, no, you don't need to pick up coffee. And I was like, I'm going to pick up coffee. So tell me what your order is. And <laughs> yeah. she texts me that morning and she's like, two flat whites. We've had a bad night. So I took around coffee and snacks and she's like, oh my God, you're amazing. I was like, no, no, no. Look, I've just done this before. And I know that you don't want to ask for help and I'm here giving you help. You probably haven't eaten a coffee. You know, you're not going to go out to a cafe today. Everyone likes a coffee from a coffee shop. Here you go. Mm -hmm. Come on. Yeah, I think that is just like if you've had a night and I think once you've been a mum, we've all had those nights that you just wake up and feel like you've been hit by a bus and there's, you know, a good coffee and a shower so someone holding your baby can make you feel <laughs> just so much better yeah. and, and able to get through the day. But, again, like you say, you don't know that until you've been through that journey and it, and it, you, there's no point apologising because you just, yeah, like you say, you don't know what you don't know. I think that's such good advice in terms of like supporting mums and it's not just like the fourth trimester as well I think it's important to highlight is like postpartum is forever forever. (laughs) yeah yeah and I think everyone's everyone's a bit different when I have this conversation and I found the journey from no baby to one baby I'm not gonna say easy because it's not easy it's it's different but I found it a whole lot easier than one to two one to two blew me away and knocked me over and I had no idea what the hell I was doing I was my ass got whipped by my <laughs> I love it to death but my god that would have to have been the hardest year on my marriage well yeah two years on my marriage on my mental health on my ability to parent where I don't think I've questioned myself anymore and then chuck in starting a business on top of that too but oh my goodness Every every journey is completely different and you are challenged, but you can do it. Those hard days that turn into nights that turn into the next day that feel like you haven't stopped, but there is something out the other side and you can do it. You absolutely can do it. Yeah, I love that. It's one question I'm asking everyone that comes on um, and we've touched on poos on nice things already, but... Have you got a memorable poo explosion story that you can share with us? So it's like a multiple one. Again, it always has to be Mabel, doesn't it? She used to poo every single time I put her in the car seat to take her sister to daycare. (laughs) And I would get to daycare and it was like five minutes down the road in the car and I would get there and like you could see it. It's like seeping out her legs. And they'd be like, oh, look, like, do you want to change your hair? Bear in mind, I live, I was at daycare like three days a week at this point. So this happened three times a week for about the first six to eight weeks of her life. And I'd be like, no, no, like, you don't, you don't understand. Like, I would have to take the capsule cover off and like scrub it down. And like, it's just faster if I leave her in it and get her home. Mm. So I'm going to do this daycare drop off real quick and we're going to go home and we're going to change this. So I, I washed my car seat cover like three times a week. And it was just something about the angle of that car seat that just, she kind of associated with that's the time to go when we take Arlabelle to daycare every time, every time until she's probably back. Louis is exactly the same. And I'm convinced it's the angle of the car seat or something and the bellies because he will always go in the car seat. Like, it's just like, I can see this look on his face when I look back in the mirror and I'm like, you're going like, I can, I know you're going. And, 
it, it must be the angle, eh? Because there's something oh. about it, or the, yeah, time of day. Maybe if it was the morning, and Mabel's like, right, time for my, my morning number two. Time for my morning loose poo as well. Like, and they were always loose and went everywhere. I tried oh. every nappy on the market. None of them are leak free. I swear to God. No, I yeah, we always have leaks, and I I we we size up, we we do everything. I check the little flaps every single time, and it's just yeah, it's probably the main reason I've been too nervous to try reusables is because of leaks. But yeah, that's a journey. I mean, I, I had a lot of nappy practice, right? I've been a nurse for years. I can change yeah. a nappy in an incubator. I've changed nappy on you know a six hundred gram baby and a oh toddler goodness. that runs away, but they, they all leak. They all leak to some degree at some point with enough force. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got a bit of pressure built and, you know, a bit of a blowout. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or dad hasn't know. quite put the flaps in the right place, you know, that just kind of. Oh, doesn't that start, a you know, a bit of a debacle? That happened to us once. Luke hadn't pulled out the flaps. My husband Luke hadn't pulled out the flaps for his yeah. nighttime nappy. And he woke yeah. in the night because obviously there'd been a leak. And I, I was... If you do that, you're yeah. in big trouble in this household because it's affecting my sleep. <laughs> hey, look, like I say, being a NICU nurse, I've seen it all. I had a dad once, and it was his first time dressing the baby after a bath, and he, like, fully dressed it, and then he's standing there with the nappy in his hand. And he, looked at her, and he looked at me, and he's like, I think I just dressed her without putting the nappy on. I'm like, yep, you yeah. have to take all that off. <laughs> and oh, you know, these are these so babies so that we've got in like six layers. It's not as simple as like just a onesie. There's oh. a whole lot of layers in there. And I was like, I'm on night shift tonight. Like, I'm not changing her whole bed when she weaves through. So you need to put that nappy back on. Oh, what um one value that you're raising your girls with? I'd love to hear from you about that. We have been working really hard on feelings and acknowledging mm. your feelings. I think that's a big thing that I think even this generation's doing, right? We are recognizing it. You know, you're hitting. I'm not just telling you off for hitting. I'm saying you're angry. Like, you're really mad. You know, what else could we do when we're feeling really mad? Um, mm. Rather than just saying no. And I, um, the big little feelings. I know a lot of people follow that as well. I have been for a long time and purchased their course. And I think it is fantastic. It's really changed how I've parented and my husband and managed some of those bigger behaviors when we've had toddlers. Um, I think it's really important and hopefully we'll see, hopefully how our kids grow up feeling that, you know, mm -hmm. that they can talk about how they feel and not be embarrassed or ashamed of feelings. And that's going to help communicate with peers and with each other and being honest about things um and not yeah not be afraid to say how they feel for fear of what other people will do about it i have just loved speaking with you kate there's just so much to cover and i feel like you know even in this chat we're, we're still just skimming the surface because postpartum and breastfeeding is such a a, a big thing and there's so much to learn if people have questions or they want to have like a consult with you which what is the best way to get in touch is it through your instagram account so either through instagram or email and look i'm always happy for like a small odd question i do q a's and stuff all the time mm. and i'm really happy to say when it's it's more than just a quick answer because a lot of people might think that it's a quick answer, but I need to know, you know, your health history, everything that's going on, because what you don't think is a big thing might actually be a big thing. So, um, mm. yeah, 
contact me on Instagram through email or on the website and I'm more than happy to point you in the right direction as well. Amazing. And thank you so much for sharing all these tips because it does just help us all. And I've just been thinking this whole time, okay, like, yes, note to self, remember that, write that down. So you're just helping so many mums as we navigate, you know, our feeding journey. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Oh, thanks for listening to the rambles. I have a good word vomit. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're perfect.